In the year 2001, Formula race car driver Alex Zanardi suffered a high-speed crash in Germany and he lost both his legs. How does a person go on to live his life without his legs? And, and even without everything that he may have considered worth living life for? Well, the answer is through thankfulness in what you have been given. And in the year 2016, after Alex won the gold medal for hand cycling in Rio de Janeiro, he said, I feel my life is a never-ending privilege. Even my accident, what happened to me, has become the greatest opportunity of my life. And when we turn to God's word, we see that it is gratitude to God, thankfulness for all the wonderful blessings he has given to us in salvation and in his loving care for us. It is that which enables believers and the church of Christ to love and serve others in amazing ways. And God's love and care for his people is not contradicted by, but rather is highlighted when we see the crises and the hardships that we face in life. Let us first consider two. Two threats to the church and to the gospel. And they are the fear of man and the praise of man. The book of Acts shows us that the church of Christ came under attack both from the outside and from the inside. The attacks from outside took the form of intimidation and persecution. In Acts 4, the Jewish religious leaders imprisoned the apostles for preaching that Jesus had risen from the dead. And the Jewish religious leaders, quote, ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But we must realize here that the real danger to Christ's church is not that unbelievers threaten believers. That's not the real crisis or the real danger. The real danger to the church is that believers might come to fear men more than they fear God so that they do not speak to others of the glorious things that Christ has done for them. The apostles replied to the Jewish religious leaders, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. You ought to be able to answer that question. You are religious leaders. But as for us, we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. That should be the answer of every believer, every Christian. The officials didn't know what to do, so they threatened them again and they let them go. 
the apostles immediately went and reported to the church, reported to all the believers all that had happened, and then all of them prayed together. What did they pray for? Did they pray that they would not be persecuted? Did they pray that they would be accepted? No, what they prayed for was that God would give them the boldness to tell others of what Jesus had done for them. And when they finished that prayer, the building that they were in shook. God made it known that he heard their prayer. And the result was that God filled all of them with the Holy Spirit and they all went out and began to speak the word of God boldly. That was the first attack against the church and against the gospel. It came from the outside and it was answered by prayer and God's blessing of boldness. The second attack against the church and against the gospel came from the inside. And as a result of embracing Jesus Christ, many believers were disowned by their families and lost their homes and their jobs. And it was a very difficult time for those who identified with Jesus Christ. And many faced a great financial crisis of great poverty. But again, we must realize that the real danger to the church is not that believers are in dire straits financially. The real danger is that some might see this crisis as an opportunity to gain praise from men instead of praise from God. The poverty was met by the sacrificial love of believers for those who were in great poverty. The poverty was met by the fellowship the care of believers one for another. Many believers had extra houses and extra plots of land. They didn't need this house to live in. They were renting it out. It would cost them a loss of some money, but they had an extra house they could sell. They had an extra plot of land they did not need for growing their crops. They could sell it, and they did. And they brought the proceeds to the church to be given to those in need with the result that, quote, there was not a needy person among them, not one. And we just read that the church multiplied to 5,000 men. That means there had to be at least 20,000, if not more, believers in the church. And many of those had been disowned by their Jewish families. They were without their home, without their family, without their jobs, and in dire straits. And not a single one of them was needy because of the fellowship of the church and the love for one another. Ananias and Sapphira did not want to help the needy. Ananias and Sapphira wanted the glory they would receive from men for appearing to want to help the needy. And so they sold a piece of property and they brought part of the sale price to give to the church, would have been, which would have been perfectly fine for them to do. But they lied and said that they had donated the entire sale price that they got from the sale of that property. 
the believers were no doubt amazed when they came and said, we sold this property and we've brought it all to the church. The believers were no doubt amazed that they would make such a great sacrifice to themselves. And they no doubt would have praised and honored them greatly for what they did. But God miraculously exposed their lie to the Apostle Peter. And he said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Why have you allowed Satan to fill and control your heart with a lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it sold it, wasn't it at your disposal? You could have done whatever you wanted with it. Why is it you... You planned this thing in your heart. You have not lied to men, but to God. And verse 5 says, When he heard these things, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came upon all who heard. You see, the Lord Jesus will not allow his church to become full of hypocrites and glory seekers. Jesus addressed the problem very severely at the beginning of his church, but even if he shows more patience today, a patience which may even try our souls, we need to realize Jesus will call all hypocrites, all glory seekers, to account. I wish to point out to you that each of these threats to the purity of the gospel and to the purity of the church were handled by using resources that God gave to the church through the gospel, namely prayer and fellowship. So let us now consider the resources of the gospel, which are found in Acts 2.42. Notice that Acts 2.42, I think, is one of the most important verses in all the book of Acts, says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Here are great resources that God has given to his church for the churches meeting its needs. These four resources are, number one, the apostles' explanation of the Old Testament, their interpretation of the Word of God. Such preaching occurs throughout the book of Acts to show people that Jesus is the promised Messiah and Savior and to thereby grow the church spiritually and in numbers. Number two, the breaking of bread. This usually refers to the Lord's Supper which signifies that God's people are sitting down at a meal with God himself, with Christ himself, and having wonderful fellowship with the Lord. It sometimes refers, this phrase sometimes refers to the fellowship of the believers in simply getting together in their homes and eating together and drinking together and fellowshipping together. Number three, prayer. In chapter 4, their prayers resulted in God giving boldness to the church to preach the gospel despite the authorities' threats. And in chapter 12, their prayers resulted in an angel delivering Peter from prison. What a wonderful resource. We have the ear of God. Will we call to him? And number 4, the fellowship 
or communion of the saints. In chapters 2 and 4, this resulted in a sacrificial love and donations to the church to care for the needy who were in great poverty. The use of these resources occurs many times throughout Acts as the answer to the challenges that the church faced. Today, we are focusing on just one of these resources, namely the fellowship or communion of the saints. Acts 2 44 and 45 says this. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And Acts 4, 32 through 35 says, Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, bought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Now this is not communalism, and this is not communism. This is Christian charity that is going on here. This is loving and sacrificial giving. The believers were united in their hearts and minds, which means that they were united in their affections, that is, in their love for one another. And they were united in their minds, in their thinking, that is, in their thoughts about one another, which result in caring for one another. They were filled with God's grace and they expressed it with a deep love for each other that made them willing to sell extra land and extra houses in order to help those in need. And the believers were so generous that every single destitute believer's needs were met. But we need to stop and ask ourselves a question here. What was the motivating factor that created in them such a willing and loving and sacrificial sharing of their possessions with others. What motivated them? And I find that we must come to the conclusion that their driving motivation was a heartfelt and sincere gratitude to God for all the incredible blessings that he has bestowed upon every believer in Jesus Christ. Thankfulness to God for his rich blessings of salvation and his loving care for us is the fountainhead. It is the source of fellowship with believers. It is the source of sacrificial love for others. So let us now consider the fountain of fellowship, which is gratitude to God. It is very important for us to realize that hardship and destitution are not the cause of ingratitude. We might think, well, well, he's bitter. He's ungrateful. He's unthankful because he doesn't have anything, because everything went wrong, because everything is so terrible for him. That is not the cause of ingratitude. And the scripture makes that abundantly clear. The source of ingratitude is a heart that is self-centered, and selfish, and always wants more than it has been given, no matter how much it has been given. 
and the source of gratitude. The fountainhead of gratitude is a heart that is content and grateful for whatever good things God has been pleased to give and content that God has not chosen to give other things. That is the source of gratitude. Contentment with God's choices and God's giving and God's withholding and God's will. Let us now consider some scriptural examples of ingratitude and of gratitude. God tells us in Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man that he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life, a promise of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When God created mankind, he placed Adam and Eve in a beautiful and a useful garden, a garden filled with every kind of beautiful tree and plant and every kind of nutritious fruit and plant for food. In addition, there was a river that gave pure water to them to drink. And that water flowed out of the garden and divided into four rivers that flowed through four lands. Those lands were near and available to Adam and his descendants, and they were filled with gold and many other beautiful and useful gemstones. God also created a vast number of animals as companions for them, as little furry rabbits to pet, and, and as servants, as horses that could plow and, and transport and do many other things. And he also created a helper for Adam that was just like him in nature to be his perfect companion and for him to care for. What is more, God himself dwelt in the garden and he walked in the garden and he communed with them in the garden and they had the glorious presence and love and fellowship of God with them. God planted the tree of life in the garden as a promise of eternal life and eternal fellowship with him if they loved him and they walked in joyful obedience with him and to him. Adam and Eve had every good and every perfect gift from God imaginable. They had everything that a man could want, everything that they needed. And the greatest of joy, they had God's presence. But were they grateful? Instead of showing thankfulness to God and obedience, they were unthankful. And they were ungrateful. They wanted more. 
not only did they want more on the earth, they wanted to take the place of God. They wanted to be their own God. They wanted to make their own decisions, and God could not tell them that they could not eat of a tree. And they spurned God, and they spurned His commandment, and they spurned His blessings. Think about that. Think about the level, the intense level of ingratitude and unthankfulness that Adam and Eve demonstrated to their creator and the one who had blessed them with every good and perfect gift. I don't know that this needs illustrating anymore, but I searched for an illustration of such ingratitude. It's hard to find such an illustration of such ingratitude, but I found one. I think some of you are familiar with it. There's one that comes to my mind. They're like Dudley in the Harry Potter stories. And when his parents told Dudley that they had gotten him 36 birthday gifts on his 11th birthday, the words that immediately came out of his mouth were, but last year, last year, I got 37. And when they fumbled around for a while and, and finally said, but, but some of these are a great deal bigger than those, the words that immediately came out of his mouth were, I don't care. God's words in Romans 1, 21 to 23 expose the incredible ingratitude of Adam and all his descendants. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal, immortal God. They dwelt in the presence and had the fellowship of the immortal God. And they exchanged that for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. How tragic. And if we do not get the connection between self-centered selfishness and ingratitude, let us consider one more example the attitude of the Israelites after God delivered them from slavery and cruel servitude in Egypt. After God took them out of Egypt and caused the Egyptians to give them their gold and their jewelry when they left out of fear for the God of these people. And after God opened up the waters and enabled them to go through the Red Sea and then safely and then closed the waters of the Red Sea upon the Egyptian army and destroyed them. And after God caused to come down upon them bread out of heaven, manna to eat when they were in the desert and they could not plant crops and grow crops. God miraculously fed them. And what was the response 
to all God's great blessings. Numbers 11, 4 through 6 tells us after they received the manna, it says the Israelites wept, wept again and said, who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt along with the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. Oh, the leeks, if only we had leeks. Oh, the fish, oh, the meat, if only we had meat. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing to look at but this manna. Wow. In their minds, their deliverance was their misery. And their slavery had been a garden of Eden. Wow. As a result of their ungratefulness and their despising of God and rejection of God, that generation perished in the wilderness and never entered the promised land. In Isaiah 55, the prophet pictures salvation and fellowship with God as a feast of the very best wines and very best foods to be had. And that is free to all who come. And he says that peoples from all nations will join Israel at that feast. And following the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost, Pentecost, multitudes and multitudes of people from all the nations flocked to Jesus Christ and to this feast. And every time we partake of the Lord's table, we are reminded that we are sitting down with Christ and we are fellowshipping with God now. And one day we shall sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb, the marriage feast of the Lamb, and shall richly feast with our glorious eternal husband, forever. We have seen two scriptural examples of ingratitude to God and the terrible results. Now let us consider two scriptural examples of gratitude and the wonderful results. Mark 12, 41 to 44, tells us that Jesus sat there and was watching how much money put people were putting into the coffers. That's something we would frown upon here in the church, okay? And we don't want our treasure to tell anyone else how much money someone gives, because we are all equal in the sight of God and in the sight of one another. We don't want anyone else to know this person gave this much, this person only gave this this much. But Jesus is the Lord of the offering too. And he sat there and watched how much people put in. And then he said to his disciples, after he saw rich people put in large amounts and he saw a poor widow put in two tiny little coins, He said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others, than all the others combined. How can that be? For they all gave out of their surplus. They had so much. They gave so little. She had so little. She had nothing. She gave it all. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. It's all she had, two little coins. It's all she had to live on, and she put it in the offering. But let us consider this question. Why did this woman give 
when she had nothing she could afford to give. Why did she do this? Her offering didn't even seem to be needed. It didn't even seem to make any difference at all in light of the large offerings. Why bother? What would we say to her? We, we'd probably say, it's okay, you, you have nothing. You don't have to put anything in. It's not necessary. We, we have plenty. The Lord's blessed us. You don't have to give. Keep the little bit you have. The answer is that she gave out of a heart full of thankfulness to God for all that God had done for her. And when she had nothing to spare, she still made her demonstration of love to God to be her first priority. And what about her needs? She trusted God to take care of her needs. Here is a heart full of gratitude to God despite total poverty. And now let us return to Acts 2 where we see every Christian believer who had an extra house or piece of property bringing it to supply the needs of destitute believers who had lost their home and their land. And it wasn't just the rich who were sacrificially giving to the needs of the poor, though only lands and houses are mentioned, because Acts 4.32 says that no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. Do you need something? Here, I have this. I can sell this. I can give this to the church. I can provide for your need. What this means is that every believer was willing to part with possessions, that they could live without in order to help those who had lost everything because of their faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Their gratitude resulted in generosity to Christ's people. The New Covenant believers gave evidence of their sincere gratitude to God And they gave evidence of their abundant joy in having Jesus Christ and evidence of their abundant love for one another. Acts 2, 46 to 47 says, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They wanted to hear the word of God and they wanted to do it with their brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this is not a command of Scripture, but they were getting together every single day to be with their brothers and sisters and to hear the Word of God preached. These were exciting times. They were hearing truths that had never been heard before, and the apostles were making it clear that Jesus was the fulfillment of all that was predicted in the Old Testament. These were glorious times. It goes on to say... And they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. After the worship was over, after the preaching was over, they went to their homes and they continued fellowship and eating and drinking and talking and fellowshipping with one another in great joy. And praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day and not only Were they rejoicing over what God had done for them? They were sharing it. And every day the Lord added to their number 
those who were being saved. Imagine that every day there were more believers in the church every single day in Jerusalem. They enjoyed their fellowship with all the believers and they praised God together for his goodness. Even the unbelievers thought highly of their love and care for one another. And God used the testimony of their lives and blessed his people by adding new believers to Christ's church every day. I want you to notice that this passage does not suggest that we have to be rich in order to give to those in need. God has shown us that even if we have no money to spare, we can still give to someone in need by selling something that we have, that we can live without. I would like to tell you a little story of how God used this passage in my life. And I I do not tell this story to boast uh, because my gift to another was a very little gift. So my wife's laptop was 10 years old. And she's even more frugal than me because I try to make my computers last to 10 years, but they almost never, ever get there. And her laptop ran so slowly that it took almost forever for anything to open. And it was able to do almost nothing. Even email would fail. And it was... It was very difficult. It was very difficult for her even to write a paper for her course. And I could not find the money to replace it. And even if I could find the money, I could not justify spending the money on that because of other priorities. But I have collected And I have played board games my entire life. And I have had over 125 board games. And I came to realize that I have many, many games that I will never have time in my life again to play. So I sold some of them. And I made enough money to buy her a new laptop. It is proper and it is good for us to enjoy God's many good gifts to us in this life. But we should enjoy God's good gifts to us in this life with generosity. We should remember that God's greatest gifts to us are in the life to come. This life is short, and this life is uncertain. So we do well to give the best we have away. In Hebrews 10, 34, God commended the early Christians who suffered persecution by saying, you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. 
You joyfully lost what you own because of those who were persecuting you. You accepted with joy. You went to visit those Christians in prison and you accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. Why? Because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. Let us pray.